This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free online resource for health professionals' education. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Hello and welcome to the World Shared Practice Forum. I'm Tracy Walbrink, a pediatric intensivist at Boston Children's Hospital, and I'm delighted here to have the opportunity to talk with Dr. Robert Tasker, the Editor-in-Chief of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, a professor of anesthesia at Harvard Medical School, and the founding chair of Neurocritical Care at Boston Children's Hospital. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tracy. Such a pleasure to uh, be online again. Wonderful. Well, this podcast will be the first in a two-part series where we'll be talking with Dr. Tasker about emerging trends and research related to our field of pediatric critical care medicine. This first one today will focus on the domain of clinical research. So Robert, as editor-in-chief, you're fortunate to receive many manuscript submissions covering a wide range of topics in pediatric critical care medicine. What do you see as the interesting or most promising clinical research concepts or findings on the horizon publishing peds critical care medicine, and in general, given your awareness in the field? Thank you, Tracy. That's a, a great question. I think pediatric critical care medicine predominantly attracts clinical research articles. And if I just consider what we've seen over the last year and what has been published so far in 2021, there are certain research topic themes that we're seeing. And there are also what I call organizational or structural themes. So as you'd expect with our journal, the focus areas appear to be renal fluids, acute kidney injury, respiratory care, neurocritical care, cardiac ICU, sepsis, and then on the organizational themes, outcomes, severity of illness, scoring and modeling, practice guidelines, looking closely at workload and diagnostic error, end-of-life care, and parent support and better understanding of parents. So those are the types of article that we see. And uh, I think probably from the reader's perspective, this is the best quality of work that we've seen for years. Competition has gotten so hard now to get into PCCN that any article that makes it through has gone through the most stringent editorial process and reviewing process. That's great. You know, I wonder, maybe we could do a little bit of a deep dive into each of those two domains. You know, the first one being the clinical focused renals, respiratory failure, neurocritical care. Are there any new things that you're really excited about and expect to see a lot of submissions in the upcoming you know, one to two years that you think might be transformative to our field? That's really difficult to answer. I have a tough enough time just coping with what's coming in as opposed to thinking about what will come in. We get about 100 articles a month come in. And uh, sadly, 95 of those aren't going to make it. So it's a tough time for authors. I have the advantage that I've seen the altmetric scores as well as the Clarivate citations that we've already had for articles published in 2021. So I know what people are talking about. 
in the sepsis realm, people are talking about Hector Wong's biomarker study and sepsis outcomes, looking at three months for quality of life outcomes. That was in January's issue. Hayden Scott's article and colleagues, again in the January issue, validating a prediction model for pediatric sepsis and shock within two hours of hospital arrival. Those are just sky high on the altmetric. And I think that they've had at least eight citations so far in 2021, which is huge. So, you know, we're in 2021. We can't miss mentioning COVID-19. And Peter Remensberger and his colleagues from the European Society of Pediatric and Neonatal Intensive Care had a guidelines or a recommendations document from their society, again in the January issue, 15 citations so far this year, altmetric score greater than 50. People are eager for this type of information. So that's another hotspot in the literature. I have to mention that in the cardiac ICU, delirium, an article by Stavesky, again, high altmetric scores, high citation rate, uh, looking at the prevalence of ICU delirium in postoperative pediatric cardiac surgical patients. You know, so far this year, we've had 22 CICU articles published in PCCM. It's going from strength to strength. And uh, really, this is a field that we're seeing much more of. Yes, they have their own journals, but uh, I think it's important that this sort of material comes to pediatric critical care medicine. Then just to mention the neurocritical care, Kendra Woods from Pittsburgh, February 2021, with Chris Horvat and others published uh, an article about intracranial pressure and cerebral perfusion pressure in both non-traumatic coma as well as traumatic coma. Again, sky high on the altmetric scores already being cited. Very important study to look at and derive normal values. I think what I'm beginning to see is more physiology-based data, which I love to see. I think we've gotten preoccupied with associations with mortality and a single center series that just seem to focus on that. Now we're seeing people ex- take a deeper dive into the physiological data that they're collecting and trying to better understand that, which for me, that's great. And our reviewers uh, like that sort of material. I have to mention the Asian 10 PICU collaborative called PACMAN, uh, which stands for Pediatric Acute and Critical Care Medicine Asian Network. Uh, they published a uh, work about traumatic brain injury in their centers. And then the UK uh, got together and looked at variability in their practice guidelines across their 33 centers. So uh, two international studies that have appeared in PCCM, uh, highly ranked on the altmetric scores. I expect most people to want to look at these and see what's going on. 
two outstanding rehabilitation articles, Karen Chung's group in Canada, looking at the prevalence of acute rehabilitation for kids in the PICU, that and uh, the group at the Johns Hopkins, first author Patel, but Sapna Kuchadka was on that. One of these articles appeared in February, the other in April, and sky high on altmetric scores. And uh, this is certainly a growth and implementation science type area. I really love the data-driven approach to trying to identify those articles that are of the highest importance to our community. And so I appreciate that a lot. And that sort of brings me to my next question. You'd mentioned that you're really excited to see a lot of these articles delving into the physiological parameters. And I'm curious, do you think that this is related to the fact that we have better data collection opportunities in terms of big data? and larger databases? And if so, how do you expect that that's going to contribute to these types of studies going forward in the future? Great question, Tracy. When it comes down to it, the bottom line is that most of us are clinical physiologists. That's how we practice. We're at the bedside. We see data. We respond to to physiological signals. And that's what we do. And what, what I see as the niche for pediatric critical care medicine is that it addresses that particular aspect of our practice. Population-based science, interesting, but you know how, how do we uh, apply that to the bedside? Randomized controlled trials and uh, large data-derived models Difficult to know what we do with that. And probably most authors, their first choice for that type of work is not pediatric critical care medicine. But there is a niche for better understanding of physiology. And you're absolutely right. Many hospitals now have better systems for data storage, signal processing, exploring what the signals mean, what the data means. And, uh, you know, I welcome that sort of work. The other aspect of that that uh, I really enjoy is that we're beginning to see engineers getting involved with us and bringing machine learning tools and uh, true data science type tools. I try and get them to explain for our readers what this all means it's not gobbledygook, but it is. it does need explanation for me to understand it. You know, perhaps everyone out there knows it and understands it, but I try and make sure that what we see in print, people are going to understand. And if, if they need help with that, then we'll have an editorial um, written. And, you know, we've seen some great editorials written. Uh, Telen Bennett Uh, has written the editorials for us. Jim Fackler has written the editorial for us. Uh, Randall Wetzel has written an editorial for us, all on this area. So it's, it's the combination of the two. I hope that answers your question. I think that's perfect, Robert. Thank you. It's hard to not ask one question about the COVID-19 pandemic, given the situation at present. And I was curious, 
how is it that with this large amount of information that's constantly coming in, but yet the disease keeps changing and what we're seeing and recommendations keep changing. How do you approach accepting articles related to COVID-19 and maybe especially related to the clinical parameters? How are you thinking about this in this field where things seem to be different every single day? So in general, pediatric critical care medicine is not the place to send that sort of material. We're a monthly journal. We have a lead time in that if I accept something today that's about COVID, the earliest that it can be online is two to three weeks. The earliest that it's in print is probably uh, three months, three calendar months. So, you know, if someone's got something that is really important, really hot, that needs to be out there, it needs to go to a weekly journal and try and get published there. Uh, So what type of COVID material do we take? Uh, The sort of material that we take is educational material and material that is is going to be robust over time. And uh, I have a group of COVID-19 reviewers that give me a very rapid turnaround within five days so that I can get back to authors and say yes or no, that we're going to to move forward with this. So it doesn't delay the process. We um, recently published three articles, the Society for Critical Care Medicine Virus Study, which is essentially a database study of COVID-19 pediatric patients who were uh, admitted to ICUs, pediatric patients, predominantly in North America, but also elsewhere. And the uh, data was split uh, in terms of MIS-C versus um, non-MIS-C cases. And the data collection window was through till March 2021. Uh, I think uh, we got it out in either the June or June. It might have been the July issue, in fact. And then along with that, Michelle uh, Schober uh, wrote a piece on NeuroCOVID, which uh, appears in a new section that I've created, which is the clinical science reviews. And these are short articles with a big illustration or two illustrations covering and explaining the basic science. Um, That already has, I I think that article is less than a month. That already has an altmetric score of 41. So people are reading it. And uh, I can tell you a bit more about the clinical science review later. The third article that we published in the same issue of PCCM was a piece by Tex Kassoon and Ken Ramey uh, about where is the journal going to go with COVID type papers and what is it that what information is most appropriate for PCCM. So if people have material, uh, please have a look at that. All three are open to uh, access uh, and, and for checking. 
Thank you, Robert. Those are really helpful resources for people to look at uh, as they're thinking about where to submit and whether or not Pete's critical care medicine is, is the right choice for their COVID-related work. You mentioned the clinical science review, and I'm curious if you could speak a little bit to the audience as to what that is and what you're looking for there. So what we're looking for is people who understand the problems that we deal with in pediatric critical care but also have um, either uh, laboratory work or a, a experimental background in mechanistic aspects of any aspect of pediatric critical care and want to inform us about the science underlying that. And, um, well, I can admit this. I've sort of borrowed the idea from the New England Journal. I love the basic science review that appears in the New England Journal. You know, one huge illustration covers a page and then two pages describing some aspect of mechanism. And if you can reproduce that, then I want to see it. It's got to be credible science. It's going to be uh, closely reviewed. Uh, and assessed, but the I, I see this as part of our educational material for the field. We're not going to attract basic science, laboratory, experimental studies to the journal, but um, we would welcome people submitting some insight that they've got about uh, sepsis, cytokine storm. We've got an article on, uh, as I said, neuro-COVID. What about ARDS? What about acute kidney injury? It's limitless what we could what we could cover, but it's the most up-to-date basic science. That's great, Robert. And I will be really excited to read these as they get published. And I wanted to also just thank you uh, for this incredibly helpful guidance for which articles we should all be reading. I think we'll now have our nightstand and the articles that we read before bed all set out based on all of the amazing articles that you've described in this podcast thus far. I know we're coming close to the end of our podcast, and I wanted to turn a little bit and end the podcast with some practical tips for authors who are considering manuscript submission in your journal. So as the editor, you've been doing a series in the journal where you outline what's required of different manuscript types. In March of this year, you published the Writing for Peds Critical Care Medicine, the 3,000-word structured clinical research report. And in addition to suggesting that authors read this article, I was hoping you could provide our audience today with two or three tips and how they may increase the chance of acceptance in the journal. Maybe these tips are things that you really want to see in the manuscript or things that the author should definitely try to avoid. You mentioned how competitive submission is. So what can you offer to our audience as ways to improve their chances of acceptance? You know, un unfortunately, one, once you've written a manuscript or once you've done the work, it's a done deal. Um, my, my job is to identify work that uh, I believe our readers want to read. Now, if it means getting people to completely rewrite their article, that's what will happen. Uh, and I often give authors the choice. You know, you, you can pull out from here uh, if you like, but you know, this is the sort of format. So when I see a paper that comes, a manuscript that comes in, 
the things that disappoint me. No cover letter. Tell me why you're excited about this work and why you think PCCM is a good fit and what it is that's in here. The number of articles that I see that get submitted that either don't have the correct address, you know, it's the cover letters addressed to a different journal, to PCCM. You know, I, I, I don't reject based on that, but it's not a good start. And then secondly, there's no cover letter explaining why you're excited about this and why you want it to come to the journal. Then there are structural issues that no one can fix. You know, a, a retrospective study, single center, looking at some relationship between a factor and an outcome, and there are only 20 outcome events, and it, it's just not enough. And the study is not big enough. I think time has moved on. I think that what we're learning now is that collaborative research between centers is the new benchmark. Unless, of course, it's physiology. If it's detailed physiology, then yes, the single center detailed work uh, is the appropriate. But trying to get advice about how you design your study at the start, really, really important. I think the rest of it is we've given advice to authors as to how to write an article and the different types of article. It's interesting to me that people clearly haven't read it and don't follow um, that, but things will come around. Thank you, Robert. These are incredibly helpful tips. And if I can summarize, I think what you're mentioning is you know, pay attention to the details, follow the instructions, and that there are some certain elements of the study design that need to be optimized before you conduct the study, which will influence whether or not this is a paper that will be accepted in Pete's critical care. And articles that are focusing on collaborative research studies are going to be more interesting and more likely to be supported because that's the way that we're moving in the future. We've got larger amounts of data. We've got more opportunities for collaboration. And that's really the area where we can get the biggest effect and sort of see really what kind of clinical outcomes are being impacted by some of this research. And don't forget about physiology, because that's such an important point of all the elements that we do every single day at the bedside. So thank you very much again for your incredibly helpful insights. We definitely appreciate your leadership in the journal. And thank you for sharing your insights with us today about these emerging trends in clinical research. And we look forward to seeing you on another podcast. So I say thank you. And until next time. Thank you. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. Check out the description box to view the resources and journal articles referenced in this podcast. To hear more podcasts like this one, log on to openpediatrics.org.